Hello, traders. Welcome to Limited Podcast. I am Dan Hodgman, sitting down with Jack Peltzer. Jack, how are you? I'm doing fine, Dan. As fine as one can on a day like this with, well, it's a, the, the, the queen is no longer on this mortal coil. It's a somber moment. Uh, we no longer have a queen of England, but we have a king of England now. Queen Elizabeth passed away today, and they already have uh, brought in King Charles. Ah, I see. Well, uh, I brought a prop while we were getting ready uh, to uh, the most British thing I could find here was a bottle of gin to just pour one out <laughs> for Queen Elizabeth II. So hope that goes well. Seems like the British are rather worked up about it. So my mother is. Oh, she's a she, she's a royal uh, she, watcher. She is a royal watcher. And uh, I had to give her a, a check in phone call to see how she's doing. Uh, taken pretty taken too soon. Taken too soon. <laughs> <laughs> so beyond that, Dan, how are the markets today? Markets were uh, relatively quiet. Um, and also, I got to take a shout out here, holding our producers back today and things are working. Uh, so I do <laughs> apologize. Last week, I was in control. Um, and for some reason, I couldn't get it to work to save my life. So glad to have hold them back. Um, but markets were uh, relatively quiet when you look at uh, grand scheme of things here, but there was some money to be made. Crude oil opened up this morning near the daily highs uh, prior to number rotated back inside, almost came down to settlement price, uh, got a little bit of a bounce right back to that opening range and uh, ending the day up about uh, 70, 80 cents. Um, I'm okay with these numbers right now. We're still holding below that 95 Jack, if you recall, a couple months ago, I kept saying 95 is going to be the price. Um, if we can get below that, look for moves to the downside. And I'm kicking myself. I thought about taking some shorts at 95 and uh, seeing what we could get to happen. Um, unfortunately, I decided not to. Yeah, it's a pretty uh, sustained sell-off, you know, off those uh, highs. And we have one of my favorite chart patterns. It looks like we just did the death cross in the CL contract. I can see where the 50-day moving average it looks like on my chart on September 6th, 7th, went through the 200 day. So that's a bearish signal for y'all. And it looks like it was bearish today. So that one worked. Sure did. And then you get stocks. Stocks were an interesting play here today. Opened up well below settlement price and a big rally all morning long up to uh, 4,000 in the S&P and uh, 12,350 in the NASDAQ. And then a little volatility came in, but to end the day, Powell came out and kind of said, hey, I am going to continue to raise rates to curb and uh, curb inflation until the job is done, was the, the language that he used. So uh, that should send a little bit of life into these equity markets. There's some fun Fed speak going on. They're really trying to hold both sides of it. It'll be interesting to see. I think, was it September 13th? We have the CPI number. That's a big one. That'll be for August. If those things start creeping down more, it's going to be tough for them to uh, continue their current hawkishness, right? I think so. Two-year yields are insane, though. You know, oh, they, gosh. They finally uh, convinced people that they are going to keep on jacking up these rates, but it'll get harder, so we'll see what happens. No doubt. You got gold, though, on the other hand. Uh, nice downside move here from the open. That market rotated all the way into yesterday's range uh, value area and uh, held what I really like to see here today is we broke inside value and that market rallied just to the high side of value and boom, that's what we want to look for when we're looking to take advantage of a directional move. We see it break inside value. We get a look, we look for a little bit of 
strength in this case. That strength came to a key level, high side of value. And then you take that short and then you had a really nice opportunity for a move. Remember, it's not about catching the entire move when you're day trading these markets, but looking for smart trades to take. If you see the market moving in a direction and accepting inside prior day value, those are huge areas to look at. Hogue talks about them all the time. You see that market accept inside that value. And if you look for that pullback, and it comes to high side, what are you looking at? You're seeing a great opportunity for a cheap trade. When we talk about cheap trades, you want a minute, you want, you're looking for that small amount of risk, then continue with the direction and really got a good chance here in that market. Yeah, I, rare, I don't really take uh, too much of a opinion on the gold stuff. I don't trade it. It's interesting. I was just looking at the chart while you were talking, though. I presume that gold has in general been getting hammered because of the strength of the dollar. You're kind of doing a gold trade and a dollar trade when you trade the gold. What do big gold believers think right now? It's it's pretty interesting to me that we've had the worst inflation in 40 years and gold was... <laughs> hopefully I didn't pop the microphone, but it was. <laughs> it, it really was. I mean, it, it's falling flat here. Yeah, um, it's, it, so it exploded, you know, and the Russian invasion exploded up to as high as 2060. And uh, as the inflation's continued, now it's trading at 1718. Uh, that's... That's no bueno for the gold. No, no, it's, uh, but hey, I still wouldn't mind having a couple ounces of it in my pocket. Oh yeah, if you're going to give it to me, sure. Right. You get some ingots for me. Right. Well, yeah. and here, here's what I'd love to talk about too, right? We just talked about gold accepting inside prior day value. Mm -hmm. Euro broke down to value and value rejected. There's a sign, hey, I should not be looking for the short. We we can't accept inside that value. That market could not get inside that value. That's when you're, okay, here's an opportunity to, I don't like saying pick a bottom. Um, if you're day trading, you're looking for levels where you can buy inside of a range. Um, and that really is what you got. That market came right down to value high from yesterday. It bounced right off of it and rotated back higher here today um, and worked itself back above settlement price. So good opportunity there. And then, like Jack said, yields are up. Uh, what does that mean for for the notes? Notes are going to be down. Uh, so, invert the the uh, correlations there, right? If yields are higher, look for notes to be down or bonds to be down, uh, and that's what we got here today. Yields up, notes are down. Yes, indeedy, uh, quite a bit. What do we got? The ten year is back at. Oh my goodness, I don't have my actual yield. Okay, there we go. Yeah, 3.3. I think the high early in the year was 3.5 or something like that. Uh, that's the most important one. The most uh, liquid market in the world. It's fun seeing them over 3% because this brings it back to like when I was trading yields. I was trading the yield spread between the, the 10 and 30 was kind of my bread and butter. Um, and it was so weird for a long time seeing them blow 3%. Now they're back up above 3%. It brings me back to the days of trading them. Oh, it's definitely fun. Where it's not fun is I'm buying a house right now and uh, seeing those 10-year notes above 3%, not as nice then. I could now, affirm that. You're, uh, you're about a year short or a year late on uh, getting that mortgage payment. Well, we'll figure it out. I need more room, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> I know how that is. Yeah, I don't absolutely. think I ever have enough room, especially once you have, once you have it, you fill it. Um, and I just downsized a little bit. And now I have like just a storage unit full of stuff. Yeah. Well, good luck with that. So uh, fortunately, it's just me and a dog. Oh, that's nice. 
So uh, yeah, I think it'd be a good time. Is there anything else you want to say about the market today before we head into the main thing I wanted to discuss with you? No, I am excited about this topic. Oh, this is fun. So uh, we talk a lot about good trades, but I think you learn a lot more from your bad trades. So today, Dan and I were going to have a little back and forth about some of the worst trades we've ever made, why we did them, and what we've hopefully learned from doing them. So do you want me to prime the pump, Dan, or do you want to get us started with something? Let's prime this pump for you, Jack. Let's see what you got. Okay. I think that probably my worst trade, and this went on for a long time, was back, this will not be surprising, towards the end of my professional trading career, was we talked before about how in your trading career, Dan, you were always trading in a group where you guys were sharing P&L. That wasn't the case for me until my company was acquired. And so the very last year, I was trading with three other people sharing the same account, and they were expecting bigger size, bigger numbers, everything else, all right? The trades that we were most in were kind of thinning out. So I was looking for new things to do and kind of, so here's the mindset I was in. I was scrambling, shall we say. And when you scramble, and this is the, I think you'd agree this might be the worst part about being a professional trader is that unless you're going to leave, not making money isn't an option. So you end up having to take risks that you would never do if you gave me if you gave me $10,000, Dan, and said, trade it, don't worry about it, it's yours. Uh, I would trade completely differently than if you're saying, okay, you have to make this much a month or a year. And if you don't, you know, start looking for that Cobra insurance. Right. And yeah, so I managed to do both. But um, what happened was instead of trading, we used to be hedged two ways. We were trading spreads, um, which hedges your outright risk. Theoretically, we were also uh, doing butterfly trades. So the idea was to hedge your curve risk, which um, I don't know if the people listening out there are familiar with it, but when you're trading the yield curve products, um, you can hedge with different parts of the curve, but they move differently. You've maybe heard of the curve steepening or inverting if there's a recession. So I went ahead and started trading a uh, curve and my real weapon of choice, or I guess like poison of choice was uh, trading the fives uh, thirties in the uh, cash bonds, which is a pretty huge piece of curve, right? If you're going from the five-year bonds That's all the way up to the move. 30s, it's a huge move. And kind of said, well, how I'm gonna do this is just, I think this is going to flatten. And that is where I staked my final stand. <laughs> so I basically went through you know, six or seven years of trading pretty well at times, uh, and then throwing all that out in the pursuit of uh, not YOLOing. I was still, you know, following risk management things, but trading just big hunks of curve to try and just juice extra uh, cash out of things, really. And long story short, it didn't really work. And the reason wasn't so much, it wasn't like I got completely destroyed by macro events. It's not like I, like I put this on in front of the biggest yield curve steepening event ever. But over the course of um, a couple months, really, when you're doing these like curve trades and stuff, I was just getting eaten up because I didn't know how to trade curve. I could never hold it long enough 
as far as uh, the winners and with my risk parameters, it wasn't like I could just hold it and forget it because A, that's not what they pay you to do as a trader. And B, the swings would just be too much as far as your you know daily loss limits. You'd have to renegotiate them. But it, it didn't work out. All right. And as I look back at what I learned at that is, A, you got to kind of, you know, ride the horse that got you there and make strategies about that. And B, you have to, you can't risk everything on new strategies that are, you know, maybe they work sometimes, but they're more or less untested, right? I mean, there's people who professionally trade curve for years and years and years, right? And so in my scrambling, I, it's like the Dunning-Kruger effect. I thought, well, I could do that too. I mean, I'm a professional trader. I can do that. Well, you're never a professional or expert in everything. So I would say what I learned is you got to be humble as far as what you can do. And if you find yourself scrambling, most of uh, people who work with top staff or other things are not using trading as their primary source of income to pay the bills. I, ho I, I hope not generally, because that would be um, exactly what I didn't like about trading. So patience when you can. And that was uh, when I left. I have not traded professionally since then for that reason. It was just too much stress and I don't want to be in a position where I'm scrambling again. So that was one of my worst trades, Dan. You know, Jack, there's something I think that's really interesting in relation to what you're talking about and kind of like where one of my worst things ever, I can, I will talk about one of my worst ones. I ended up taking a little bit of a break after this trade. Um, it was when I left the prop firm and I was trading for myself and I had this mentality, the prop firm mentality of like, I got to make money. I, I have to do this. Like I got mm -hmm. so set in my head on like desk fees and the costs of being a professional trader. And like, you know, if you have a scratch month, that's, that's a negative month. Cause you got to pay to be there. You got to pay for everything. So I had this mentality. I, I walked away from the professional world with the nest egg. I was comfortable. I knew what I was doing, but I kept trading and I was having a lot of fun with it. And I had a bias. Um, I was trading, I was trading the bonds. I had a total bias of what was going to happen. And I really could not get my head out of this bias. And the market started going in my favor. And the problem with that was I thought I was going to be constantly right. I was like, sweet, I'm going to start doing this. But I had stuck in my head that I have to make money. I There was no reason I shouldn't make money. It's going my direction. I've got my bias. The problem was I was not trading on the account that I'm used to. So like my risk, my appetites for risk changed. My controls changed. My capital was dwindled drastically from having a prop firm's capital. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, and so my whole structure of trading really had to change, but I was still in this mentality of the prop firm world where I had a lot of risk. And so I was getting into trades and I had not really ever focused on like my entries short term. And we, I'm trading weeklies at the time. Um, I'm used to trading, you know, monthlies. So, so you were trading, uh, you were trading treasury options and hedging them. Yes. Okay. And, but my risk wasn't there. And I, so I was on weeklies and that was the big difference is like weeklies were a popular thing. And like, for a lot of guys, we always talked about the weeklies as it's a relatively cheaper contract. You can trade in it and it forces you to be out by Friday, um, which I liked. I liked being out on Fridays because I didn't want to carry positions over the weekend of my own cash. Um, and, but I had this mentality of trading further out and 
So the market was going in my favor, but the, it was those pullbacks. It was where it would kind of go against. And at, at the time, uh, right on the Asian opened, China had an influx in volatility, and then that would go against me. And I get stuck in this position. And had I been a little bit smarter about my entry points, which as I've gotten older and traded on my own a lot more, uh, my entries got way better, but I wasn't as concerned about where I was getting in because I knew the long term was going to get me to a spot. And so I'd sit there, Asia Open would come in and I'd, I'd watch my risk completely f- go upside down. And the only way to control that is hedging my position a little bit more. And so I would continue to hedge, but then they would start to come back in the favor that I wanted, but I hedged against that. So then I'm losing money getting out of my hedge and I'm losing money every night. And it was just doing this. And I did this for like two straight months and I could not get myself back in control. And I found myself in a chase and everything I'm doing was, I was just trying to get back to where I wanted to be in the initial position. I knew the initial position was good, but because I got stuck in these hedge chasings when volatility would increase. So basically for those that don't know, when you're trading an option, it's really based off of your delta. And when volatility increases, and I'm not talking about the VIX, but there's a you run theoreticals based off of current volatility percentages on the product that you're trading. And it tells you what your delta is. And if the bonds move X points or, or X ticks, you know, we I would I looked at it and uh five and a 10 tick move. Uh, so every five ticks it moved, it would tell me how many bonds I had to buy or sell to hedge my position. And what'll happen is when that volatility spike based off whatever direction I'm sitting in on the trade, it'll tell me I have to buy or sell a bunch of bonds. And everyone knows they're not cheap. Uh, you're putting on a lot of margin when you're buying a bond or mm-hmm. five of them, or if you're doing 15 or 20 of them in the middle of, you know, at eight o'clock on a Tuesday night, volatility is increasing. And then as soon as the open slowed back down, volatility decreased. Now I could have sat in the position, taken this heat all the way up, but there's this phone number in my phone. I don't like to call that. If it calls me, it's not a good thing. And it says margin call. Uh, I don't want to ever get that. So if I kind of keep my risk in a safe position, which is exactly what you're supposed to do as an options trader, it costs you money. (laughs) So it would go in my favor and then it would come back or go against and then would come back in my favor. And so every night, I'm losing 20, 30, 40 ticks in the bonds in a matter of an hour. And then my position got, gets screwed up because now I've adjusted my average price because I'm picking up some options with these moves. And I did it for two months. And all I did was lose money. And I kept chasing. And finally, I was like, okay, I have to stop for a little bit and catch my breath and figure out what the hell I'm doing wrong. And I called my dad and fortunate, I'm very fortunate I have uh hell of a mentor in the industry he did 30 years in the bonds. Um, and I called him, I'm like, what am I doing wrong? He goes, you're trading treasury options as a retail guy without enough money. Get the hell yeah, away from it. To say undercapitalized. <laughs> and that's what it did it. And I took some time off. I came back into, and then I went back to spread trading, uh, the yield spreads. And I, that's much more comfortable. Definitely. It sounds very difficult to trade, um, options that way. Was your bias for you at short volatility? Yeah. That, that's what everyone does until it doesn't work. Okay, that's when works the great until blows, it doesn't. Until it doesn't. You know, and, and I, I had a great, and I, the, that's the toughest part about this trade is, or this series of trades that I'm doing. It's like, I had everything right. I just didn't have the cash and, and the appetite for risk. And I think there's a lot of traders out there. I hear it 
all the time from traders that I talk to. I had the direction right, but I just couldn't stay in the trade. I needed more money. And I, so I've been there. I 100% get it. The thing is, it really educated me in number one, finding a product I could afford better. Number mm -hmm. two, entries, how important they are, how important it is to have a smart entry point. Absolutely. I think another thing uh, you mentioned that was interesting that I think be good for the, the outright traders here is your process of hedging options is another reason that we talk about catching a falling knife on either side is it's the reason that you shouldn't arbitrarily buy something because it looks cheap or sell something because it looks too expensive because, because of the options and other hedges, that's why that along with, you know, stop loss limits, it's why selling begats selling to a greater extent. Uh, so buying begats buying and to a greater extent selling begats selling because as you go down, actually I saw this, you know, there's a huge amount of uh, put options that were bought last week. I think nominally the most uh, ever. And why that's something to pay attention to is if, if stocks say we're starting to go down quite a bit, the places, the market makers that sold these options, they need to hedge their options. And the further they move to the downside, the more they need to sell to hedge these put options off the payout. Uh, that's sort of the same phenomenon that led to a lot of when Tesla was going ballistic only to the upside. You know, you buy all these out of the money call options, the price gets higher, they have to hedge, which brings the high, sorry, the price higher. I get excited when I talk about Tesla. <laughs> they buy, then the market makers have to buy to hedge. And then because it still goes higher, they have to hedge more. And that's how things can go out of control. So yeah, it's a tough thing to trade if you're undercapitalized, which is why you don't see a lot of retail traders. Your dad's right. I can't think of anyone I know who's trading uh, options hedges that way on their own. But for me, it was like, it's what I knew. And I knew I had some cash and I, I could mm -hmm. do some stuff, but I, I needed to be shorter term even than the weeklies. And, you know, you take a little bit of heat and, you know, in the prop world, taking a $10,000 heat doesn't make you bat an eye, but when it's your own cash. And I think there's, that's where the, really for me, where it came down mm -hmm. to, it was like, I had traded my own cash back in the day where I, when I first got into stuff, you know, buying stocks and, you know, and then I kind of started doing a little bit on the future side and it was my own cash, but it was very controlled when it was like this. And I knew I'm in a winning position yet a winning positions telling me I'm down 10, 12 grand. It was my 10, 12 grand. And that's what frightened me. Cause like, I looked at it as this is my nest egg. I, I, I need this cash. And so I got to find a way to get it back to at least neutral. Um, and, and so I think, so for me, there are a lot of lessons learned. Number one, don't trade things you can't afford. Number two, get better entries. And, and number three, the psychological change of like going from prop for money to your own money makes a huge difference. That's a big one. I got another story. This one has to do with, I would say, greed or wish casting. And I wish I could say that this is like one time I did this and I learned my lesson and didn't do it again. But realistically, I would think that over the course of six years, I probably blew out, let's say four times doing this. 
And it has to do with when you trade. And to be clear, Jack, when you say blowout, you hit your. Oh, I hit my daily. You hit your threshold, but you didn't like bury an account and completely done and had to start back over. No, no, you can't. When you're working professionally, you you blow out the account and then. You're never getting another job. You're not. Yeah, you're done. Like, uh, that's not what I did. I'm talking about like hit my. I would we would call blowouts when we hit our uh, daily loss limit. And from the way that we were trading, it's is not quite like outrights where uh, our our loss limit days uh, hurt pretty bad because they weren't like you wouldn't like make your loss limit every day. If you did, you'd be they'd be like trade more, get a bigger loss limit. <laughs> Don't be a goon. But one thing we would do is when we were trading treasury futures versus the cash bonds is that if you uh, held a position overnight, you know, the, um, the bonds are interest bearing uh, securities. So if you were short the cash bonds, you would have to pay uh, repo on it for each unit. Um, and if you were long the bonds, you would get paid it. So if the spreads we were looking at were real cheap, and by cheap, I mean the, um, the long bond side, the cash side was looking cheap. At the end of the day, especially on Thursday, uh, on Thursday, you would get three days of carry. So you'd get a lot more money, right? So the reason it was getting cheap, of course, is because everyone knows this and you're not gonna get an opportunity to get out of this position. But it's just too tempting to lock in and know that when you come back, your PL monitor is going to be, you're up all this money, and all you have to do is get out of it. So, what happens? You pile in these positions, a bunch of your buddies do, everyone at the firm does, and then it opens up and you're back to scratch. Okay. Because everyone's chasing it down, trying to get out. Because the, the futures adjust, right? They're not going to let you, everyone knows what the game is, right? Okay, so now the trade has not worked. What does the smart man do? He gets out. He gets, gets out. the F out. What did I do three or four times? Ah, let's just wait for it. Just come back. I can feel it. <laughs> and uh, the natural progression of these things is they tend to go down, and then maybe you defend it a little bit. And then before you know it, even with all that sweet repo payment, you're close to your puke limit. And then there's a rush for the doors because everyone else is because they all put it on. And so the reason to make that trade is I would call wish casting, right? You're just, you put something on and you see technically how it could work. And so you just hope it works and that's enough for you, right? That's a terrible thing to do really. And then when you hold on to it, that's greed. So those are the two things that I would take from that sort of behavior, right? Is that you can't put on a trade that you're just hoping works out without a grander strategy behind what you're going to do. So, well, I think that's like, it's a common thing, right? Especially when you're with the firm, you, you find like these little nuances that, Hey, they're paying out like good chunks of cash. I, if I run it a couple of times, you know, it works, it starts to work, but then it, it was this, it goes like going to arb the pit right back in the day when mm -hmm. screens were starting to come out, but you could still trade to the pit and you had a little bit more of a real-time price on your screen when someone would come into the pit and sell, say, I'm selling 100 at, and then they, you get the bid, the bid and offer on it. And then people would be like, okay, I'll pay this, I'll pay that. And you can go, oh, I can buy it here and I can sell it a tick higher on the screens and I can 
was called Arving the Pit. Mm-hmm. Um, it worked until it didn't. Same thing here, Jack. And it works. Everyone until it chases doesn't. it. Everyone chases it. And how many people probably a bunch of people made their career at the beginning, and then how many people ruined their career just trying to make it work? Which I think a lot of the guys that move from the pit to the screens, that's the kind of stuff that they were trying to do on the screens. And just it's hard to accept that something's not going to work anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the wish, wish casting, it happens everywhere, right? You know, you're in a position, it's starting to go against. So you're, you're wishing you're maybe you're buying into a losing trade in hopes of getting a, a lower price. You know, it happens so many different ways. And I would just say at the end of the day, the second you start thinking though, that route, that's the point you have to get out. When you start, just come on, get me back to neutral. What do I got to do to get this thing back to even? It's when you got to run, just cut the bait take the loss um, because more likely than not, the loss is only going to get bigger until you hit that threshold, that puke limit, that blowout limit where I can't take anymore. And it's not going to let me take anymore. Practically. This is an example too, of why when you see people that are going to give their, you know, one trick or like an indicator, their indicator that works like 80% of the time or whatever, uh, it's why you can't trust that. If, so, if someone really has that, that'd be a very closely, why would you give that away? You know, right. if you, if you, if you have something that can work 80% of the time, they it's only going to work know, sports- for so long. So you need to hold that. I mean, and that was, that was always a common thing too, right? Even in the team trade for me, where we're, we were, you know, profiting with each other, um, but we'd still kind of hold it close to the chest when we found something working, you know, if it was even as simple as a level or, Hey, I found this, you know, this butterfly spread over here that like, there's Jack, you've seen it where like a trade comes up and you're like, God, that's just free money. Oh my gosh. And it Mm -hmm. just keeps popping up. And sometimes it's just someone getting out of position. You know, you never know the rhyme or reason behind it, but you'll see these trades come in and you're like, or it's like a hedge trade, but the hedge is like, 10, 10 ticks off. And you're like, holy crap, I can make, if I, if I buy 500, I'm making like 5,000 ticks. Yes. Yes. And I'll just keep buying every time it comes in and you know what you're doing and you find these things. But if you tell someone the amount of that trade starts to dwindle really quickly. So you hold it close to the chest, especially mm-hmm. like on the screens, when you're looking at spreads and stuff, it's not like futures where you're just watching one market go up and down. Like you'll see, like all the trades that come in, I used to have an alert that say, if anything over 50 trades, you know, bang, pop up and show me. And you'd see something come in and then you're like, oh, it's this butterfly spread one, two, whatever, whatever the spread was. And you'd go, okay, I'm going to take a look at this. And you're looking like, wow, that's free money. Yeah. Um, sometimes just, sometimes even if you're not the one doing it, you see it on the screens. And then like several years later, you hear about someone at another firm going to jail for it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you would have remembered this, but I remember at one point, I don't know if anyone went to jail for this thing, but there was like before unemployment in the outright bonds in, in the futures, there was someone who was just like running, just plowing one direction through a super thin market. I think that what they were doing is, so the market thins out and using minimal size to push it away one direction. And then like either fool people's stop losses or just like, just trigger something with the algos. And then it worked every time for a long time. And then one time it didn't, we were just trying to be like, oh my goodness, they must've just gotten 
laid waste to on there. So <laughs> there's some anyway. uh there were some fun times. Yeah, good stuff to watch. So yeah, that's uh I mean probably where we leave it for now, but uh happy to talk more like maybe we could do some I think we've done some good trades before, but we could do more of you know what we've learned along the way because I like having the conversation. And I think it's important too, right? Like number one, Jack and I, we, we've preached for years on, you know, this platform about like smart risk management and doing good things. We've also done a lot of stupid things as well. Like, and I think that's important to to be clear with, like, I've done a lot of dumb stuff when it comes to trading. I mean, I've broken my own rules. I have made trades. I shouldn't have made, I've made money when I shouldn't have made money. Um, I've lost money when I 100% deserve to lose money. Um, you know, I've done a lot of dumb stuff and because of that, it helps me understand. And it really just comes down to learning from your own mistakes. Like I get it. I got to touch the stove sometimes too, to make sure it actually is hot. Even though someone told me, um, you know, we all have to go through it and hopefully, you know, hearing about some of the stupid, stupid things we've done. Maybe that'll help you the next time you're in a position where you're doing something stupid and you should just be like, you know what? I've done enough stupid today. I'm going to get out of this instead of being more stupid with it. I think those are some choice words that ended on Dan, but before we go, we'd be remiss not to mention that uh, we removed a couple rules from step two of the trading combine this uh, past weekend. Correct. We sure did. Yeah. No more weekly loss limit in step two and you can trade through economic releases. But before you do check out uh, coach's playbook this week, where we talk about, just because you can do something doesn't mean you necessarily should. <laughs> and hopefully this conversation about our stupid ass trades will uh, let you know that maybe it's not the best to trade through numbers, but for big boys and girls, you can make the own decisions. Uh, so yeah, that's all we got. We uh, won't be here next Thursday, just as an FYI. So two more weeks until the podcast is back. Oh yeah. Yeah. Thursday we are booked doing a little, I don't know what you'd call it. Meeting. Oh, that's what we're, we're in a day long meeting. Great. We're in a day long meeting. We're actually going to be a face to face. Yeah. Well, I'll see you there, Dan, everyone else. I'll see you in two weeks or on coach's playbook next week, I guess. But, uh, any, any case, have a nice rest of the week. We'll see you later. Namaste and trade well. And thank you for listening to the limit up podcast, which is of course a presentation of top step. Check us out at topstep.com to learn more about the trading combine and how you can become a funded futures trader. We're back most every Thursday. Hope to see you then.